Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to Radio Motherboard. This is Jason Kebler and this is our last episode before 2017. Exciting. And this is Ankita Rao. I'm an associate editor with Motherboard. I have a quick announcement before we start the show. We are hiring a podcast intern so if you are interested in working with me and Ankita, well, here are the details. You, A, have to be a college student living in New York City. You can be a graduate student as well. And you have to be able to work two to three days a week out of our Brooklyn office. It's uh, paid. It's paid. It pays $11 an hour, and there's a maximum of 20 hours a week. You will help us research, report, pitch story ideas, and edit the podcast. You'll be on the podcast from time to time, I'm sure. And uh, you can also probably write articles for our website. I think we would definitely give you a lot more freedom than a lot of internships would with the podcast. Ankita and I both have editing and writing jobs, so we've been looking for more time to dedicate to the podcast, and hopefully by hiring an intern we can kind of make this show much better and more polished for 2017. So yes, that's uh, that's our spiel. Now on to the episode. I think that there's a sense that science is boring, and it, it isn't. And I think that the more we try to hide the messy realities of science, the more we're making it less interesting to the general public. This episode is really interesting to me because it's something that I wondered about when I was living in India. Yeah, you told me that you pitched a story about this uh, before we ended up running a documentary about it. Um, The documentary is called The New Face of Diabetes. So it was a complete shock to us when we found out that 80% of the cases are now in developing countries. A simple explanation for this is that globalization is spreading a Western lifestyle around the world. More and more, people like Visalakshi have access to the same processed foods and modern conveniences as people like Pat. But it's actually the differences between these two women that brought us to India. Because those differences are causing scientists to profoundly rethink their understanding of this disease. Tell me what you saw when you were in India. While I was reporting in India, I came across a lot of villages where I would go to hospitals or clinics and I would see people come in who were severely malnourished or really underweight and whether they were pregnant women or Uh, men who had been farming all day, and their diagnoses would be diabetes or heart disease. And I always grew up thinking, hey, these were 
these are the diseases you get if you eat too much and you don't exercise enough. Or if you can get it genetically. But, right, but also, right. it's not a diabetes you're type right. 1. Yeah, yeah. Diabetes type 2, right. which is... But yeah, either way, it's genetic. But yes. I always thought, like, for the most diseases part... Diseases for overweight people. Right. Diseases for not just overweight people, but diseases of excess of just, you know, not... Yeah, too much, too many Too much sodas. of something. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is clearly not the case in... The places I saw and this documentary um, goes into exactly why and what science is behind why people are getting diabetes across the world and it almost has nothing to do with what they're eating and drinking later on. Why didn't we know anything about this until this documentary? I think that science is a constantly evolving subject but one of the parts that is interesting about research is equity. Um, And I think that a lot of times research that's done in other countries or not in the Western world or not at places like Stanford where there's lots of money and lots of publications can get lost and isn't recognized. And so even though people were starting to understand this in different spots across the world, the international science community had not accepted it yet. So... um, I think this is a particularly interesting documentary, not only because it challenges like what we know about a disease that is rampant here in the U.S. and also in a lot of countries in the world, but it's also challenging our idea of like where is our research coming from? Are we paying attention to everyone who is doing solid science? Yeah, that's a really important point. There's been an explosion in the number of studies that have been published in Chinese in recent years. And a lot of those studies are instantly discounted by science journalists as being sort of like wacky or there's always these allegations of scientists ripping off American scientists, of Chinese scientists taking like science from America just because I don't know why. It's it's this weird cultural thing. And there is also all these allegations of Chinese scientists. The integrity of the science is always called into question. And in many cases, I mean, it's warranted, but in many cases, it's not. And I think we need to get to a point where there's more international voices in science publishing and not just American, Canadian and Western European science that becomes sort of accepted. So we're going to learn more about it with your interview. Who did you talk to? I talked to Elliot Kirshner, who is the executive producer of this documentary, and he is a really interesting science journalist who talks about his process in going out to the field, figuring out exactly how this story worked, and finding out exactly what kind of science is behind this new discovery. And here we go. Obviously, we have had a lot of interest in the documentary, and it's a really interesting topic for me personally, but also, I think, just a counterintuitive way of thinking about diabetes. So I'm excited to hear about how you got interested in this project. Sure. I mean, I think that I've been interested in doing science stories in general for a long time, and always we're trying to think about how you can do them differently. And I think one thing that sort of needs to happen when we tell science is not just the facts of science, but the spirit of science. And a lot of scientific discovery, the way it works is people look for something unusual, something that is counterintuitive, something that breaks the normal sort of preconceived wisdom. And when I was talking to sort of diabetes researchers, because I was doing sort of a series on diabetes, I got a grant to do a series of diabetes films, they said, you know, you got to look at India. And I said, well, what about India? They said, well, they have a really high rate of diabetes, and they don't look the same as diabetes cases 
do in the West. Um, you know, for, for I mean, the people themselves don't look the same. They don't look as overweight as traditionally type two diabetes people have here. But that being said, there is also a range of people of you know sort of what we call phenotypes in science, or the sort of the outward projection of of how people present uh, in the West as well. But in India, it was is particularly striking. Dr. C. S. Yajnik has spent the past two decades trying to answer that question. And in the process, he's transformed this diabetes clinic at KEM Hospital in Pune into a leading center for research. He started by taking a closer look at his patients, and he found that BMI wasn't telling the whole story. We started to try to see who was doing research in this field, how that came out, and, you know, and that's how we sort of came across this story. When you were looking for those researchers, you found uh, Dr. Yajnik and his team mm-hmm. in Pune. Were there a lot of different people working on diabetes, or was he sort of the main person? How did you decide on him? Well, we've interviewed a lot of different people, and so and people like are approaching this from many different angles, and this the idea that he's looking at sort of you know maternal nutrition, what's been known as epigenetic effect, in other words, effect of the environment on the way the genome itself is expressed, you know that was that was very unusual for us. I mean, there are, and there are people there that you know, are still looking at it, and it's very important to look at it from from the point of view of of exercise, of diet. I mean, these are all. It's you know, it's a very. There's no one single factor for this. It's, it's very complicated. That, and I think you know, there's no. It's, it's very hard for scientists to sort of pin down what diabetes is. It really strikes it at the heart of of life and how people deal with energy and food and fat and all these sort of central core components to life. So we were looking for a an unusual storyline of research. And as we talked to researchers around the world, you know, experts in this field, his name kept coming up as someone to talk to that was doing really, you know, very top-notch science. And that's how we sort of came across him. You know, we, we his name kept popping up. We called him. He was very interested in sort of, you know, explaining his story. And we thought it really, it, it didn't just talk about the science of diabetes, but also how research happens, you know, how many people it takes to put together a study like this, you know, different social workers and nurses and lab technicians and, you know, all that. And so we were, we were just interested in how, how it showed how science was working as well as what he was finding. And, you know, I think it, you know, it, 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 it worked out very well, I think, in terms of, you know, as a filmmaker, you're looking for stories and a narrative. As someone who wants to communicate science, you're looking at something that is that is reliable and is is responsible. And I think you know that through him, we were able to bring these different strands together and tell his story in a way that I think also appealed to the, our mission of of telling science in a responsible way. That's a really hard thing to do with narratives in science because I think a lot of times. You know, they they don't fit neatly together. And I, I really liked that, you know, this sort of went out there and said, like, we get it. This is not what you think of diabetes, but this is another way to look at it. But also kind of saying, like, this is not the only way to look at it either. So how did you um, sort of balance, like, okay, this is a big finding, this is a big discovery, but it's also not the end, like, this is by no means like, okay, if we all take B12 in utero, like, right. we're all going to be fine. <laughs> like, how do you, you know, how did you make sure that the science was in context? Well, I think that's a really good question. And I, and I think it's, it's really strikes at, at how science journalism has to work in that we have to, as journalists, be honest about where there's ambiguity, the fact that things are complicated. And I think that if told correctly, rather than that being a liability, it's really a strength that we can 
you know, these are mysteries, and there's, we're just picking up clues, and they're very difficult, and we're trying to figure out, and there's multiple causes. And so rather than sort of preach science like it's some sort of gospel that everything has been figured out, you know, what's, what drives science forward is, is the horizon, is the unknown. It's what's left to be discovered. And I think that that, that's a, it's, that, that can make for an, a very appealing narrative as well, is pushing through the boundaries of knowledge. I think it's very important, though, that we highlight responsible science, you know, and that it's not that we just, um, you know, that, you know, because there's a lot of crackpots, there's a lot of people with sort of crazy ideas that aren't respected and sort of that ha- haven't been peer-reviewed. So you've you got to be careful about finding a great story that, that scientists will look at and say, well, this is a bunch of, you know, BS. On the other hand, you know, I think science itself is about trying to tease out, you know, some sense of the truth uh, and ch- constantly challenging your own assumptions. So I think by putting that into the narrative arc, um, you can accomplish both objectives really well. I mean, it's 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 not the obvious way to do it necessarily, but I think I hope that more people who cover science seek that out to sort of say, look, this is what we don't know, and this is what we do think we know, but we could change our opinions, um, you know, because. Dr. Yachnik's story itself was about challenging preconceived notions from science that had been vetted and that had some element of truth to it, um, but that weren't as that, that were weren't as nuanced as they need to be. This, you know, BMI was a rough measurement. It did show a correlation between weight and diabetes. That's true. There is that correlation, but that's not everything. And so I think that science is about challenging those assumptions constantly, teasing out knowledge and being honest about what you know and what you don't know. Building on that, do you think that something like this, would you count it as a solutions-focused documentary? I don't think it's a solutions because I think that as it ended up, you know, there's stuff he still has to learn. So there's no obvious answer. I think what it is, though, is solutions to the degree that it focuses on the process. Because I think the process of science is what's going to lead to progress. And if if people understand how science works then I think they can see how the solutions will come, that the process itself will lead to the solutions. You don't know, you don't know where progress is going to come from, but you know it's going to come from somewhere. I think that's sort of a way of thinking about science and thinking about basic research. So I think that if we can convey that to an audience, um, they'll get that that is a solution in and of itself. It's a solution to understanding the process of scientific discovery. What was most surprising to you in that whole process? While you were finding out, you know, while you were piecing these together, and, and obviously the scientists are also piecing it together, so did you have a moment when you were just like, wow, that I would have never guessed that in a million years? <laughs> well, I think that this, you know, as we saw the research sort of unfold from what they had published to what they were currently about to publish or to what they hoped to test, you sort of got a sense of this, just this journey and this, you know, and it was really sort of exciting that, you know, this is sort of, you know, science, it, it, it was surprising, you know, that, wow, I never would have thought of that you could approach this, this issue in this way. What was surprising was, to me, was just sort of the process it's of this discovery and that the way that this, in, you, know, I, you know, I guess I understood that, okay, it's hard to do longitudinal studies and epidemiology is difficult, but I think just the sheer number of moving parts that it takes, the, the number of different types of expertise that have to work together, and just the patience that it takes. Um, you can't be impatient and do this kind of work. It, you, know, you can't rush the fact 
that it takes seven years to go back and check out what it is. And so I think there was this sense here um, from Dr. Yajnik, who's been doing this for so long, that that this work is going to actually have to outlive him, that he himself won't get all the answers. It's just So you're saying like he takes, you know, takes him seven years? Yeah, I, I guess what I think what surprised me most was just how involved this this kind of research is and how long it takes. And the fact that Dr. Yajnik himself won't probably live to see the full results of what he set up, that that's the nature of of the work. It takes years and years and years for these kids to go from you know, prenatally to being infants to being growing up, adolescence, adulthood, having their own children. And so that's what it's going to take to try to figure out what's going on. And I think it's a really good metaphor for science is that it's bigger than any one person. It's bigger than any one experiment. It's about sort of the accumulation of knowledge, of collaboration, of people building off of others' work, of standing on each other's shoulders, of sort of reaching higher and higher. And I think that I was surprised by just how collaborative this research was, uh, what it, how difficult it is to do, and just the implications of what it takes and how, you know, the time scale horizon of it. I think that's really interesting. And also the, like the cultural aspect of this was interesting to me because, you know, I always, I, I lived in India for three years, but I always did think that diabetes was because of like modernization or globalization and like the changing food system too. And I think that was just because, like, most of the scientific research is done here in the Western world. And, like, the assumptions are applied directly to other places. And um, I was wondering if you found that there was that, you know, a lot of that sort of, like, oh, we have to unlearn this and, like, like realize that research needs to be more localized and, like, more nuanced than that. I think so. And I think that it's it, it just... I think it's really important that that we don't fall into any sort of biases as far as science and that when you're looking at epidemiology or something of this nature, you know, where people live, what their diet is, what their what we're seeing here, what their history was even before they were born, their lineage, uh, all that makes a real difference. And I think that it's one of the reasons why science must be a global initiative. And why we should also, you know, I think one of the things that was really true is that, um, you know, that Dr. Yachnik talked about how difficult time he had publishing his early papers, and that a lot of that was because he was sort of doing this work in some you know, perceived backwater. Um, you know, it's not even, you know, it's, it's but he's, you know, if, he's, I mean, to, to the credit of the scientific community, eventually I think it's been appreciated and, and you know, he's considered, you know, a very respected scientist, but it's very important that we that we that we make sure that science has there's a lot of equity around who does it and how it's being done and where it's being done um and that you know that that this is it's really important because we're going to learn a lot in the west about what happens there too i mean that this is this is com- this is painting a much more complete picture you know and and it's and i think it's not just true for this kind of research but that Science is always looking at examples. I mean, you know, there was this amazing example of this family in in Colombia that has incredible rates of Alzheimer's, and they get a very early onset, and there's a genetic link to that. Um, and so, you know, these kinds of sort of real-life test cases, or whether it's a medicinal plant in the Amazon or 
other types of you know examples that have happened. I mean, that science must be constantly you know scouring the earth for these. And, and the one way to, to sort of learn about them is to have local scientists, to have people who sort of hear something unusual and then can then bring it up for the entire scientific community to consider. And I think that that that's a really it's not only a noble endeavor, it's not only an it's an endeavor of making science more representative of the world's population, but it's it's endemic to what needs to happen in science for it to be successful. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. So, was the part with um, you know when you, when you come back to University of Michigan mm-hmm. and and talk about the mice, what was that something that you already knew you were going to do, or was that something Yajnik brought up that you then decided to do? Like, how was that? You know, how did all of that tie together? Well, I think um, it tied together because you know we sort of this issue of epigenetics came up, and we thought it would be great to sort of show how science in different environments is you know impacts each other. So you know he's doing this major multi generational epidemiological study in India. Um, but there's also a component of this that's really laboratory-based. Um, and so we really want to show how those different strands work together. And we also, it's really important for us to find, you know, I think one of the problems with the way science journalism happens is that we're often, the journalists often look for the senior most scientist in the field or the one that has published the most. Um, and I think that that creates a false impression you know, and often just because of the nature of what that is, they often tend to be older, white, and male. And I think that's a false impression of if you go into a laboratory environment in you know any sort of major research institute, it's full of young people, it has a lot of women, uh, it's very diverse, it's international. And so we also really wanted to use this as an example for both of these examples to try to explain that, you know, to try to put a face on science that journalists sometimes don't do. Uh, and so the work that's being done at the University of Michigan is very high rated. It's wonderful. You know, it's very respected. There's no doubt that we didn't want, we couldn't sacrifice the credibility of it. But I think it was really important for us to find a group that was doing this uh, wonderful research and that was sort of, you know, was going to be doing it for a long time and were younger. And so, that, so you know, it, that's how it all sort of came together. And I, and I don't think that this is tokenism in any way because I think that it's actually representative of where science is now. And part of the job of a journalist is to reflect the spirit of science, the ethos of science, the, the face of science as it really is. And it's not just sort of a senior, you know, researcher um, in, in a lab coat, which they probably don't wear anyway, you know, looking through a microscope, which okay. they probably haven't looked at in a while. You know, I mean, that's not what it came. So, so we knew we wanted to talk about epigenetics. We knew we wanted to go to a place that was doing really cutting edge work on it. And we knew we wanted to do it in a way that was, you know, indicative of science, the way it's really being done now, too. So that's how we chose the, the group out of Michigan. And, we, you know, and, they, and, they, and part of it, too, they were wonderful explainers of it, and it was very visual what they could show. 
uh, and they were they were wonderfully collaborative in terms of letting us explain the story we're looking for and for them to really you know they gave a lot of thought to how they could talk about it and show the mice themselves and and so it was really a, a wonderful uh, element i think that it it, it's, it adds a lot to the film in that it sort of shows this how broad science is and that people are doing it in many, many different ways. There's not one way to do science. There's many ways. And we want, and there's not one kind of person doing it. There's many kinds of people. And so we wanted to do that with that part of the story. How has the reaction been so far? I think the reaction's been really, really positive. Um, as far, I mean, I don't know, you guys, you know, it's just gone up in the last few days. So I think that it's, you know, it's going through your, you know, your site. So you would probably know more about <laughs> what you're hearing back. I mean, but everything we've heard that we've sent this reaction to has been very positive. And I think what's 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 when, when you do science in particular, you hear like, well, who's your audience? You know, is it scientists? Is it the general public? Is it people who are in school? And I really do think that that's. I hope to show by this film and the other ones that we've produced, which hopefully will be coming out soon as well, is that. You can, through one film, hit many audiences. You know, it's and I sort of I don't know if you're a sports fan or not, but I sort of use the analogy. You know, when they put a football like the at the Super Bowl, they don't have like twelve different versions. <laughs> that one version is for like somebody who only watches one football game a year, and the people that like you know played professional football or high school football and know all the X's and O's. And that you know I think that you can hit multiple audiences. So one of the things that we were really pleased by is that we're hearing amazing things from people in the field who are actually studying this and going oh my gosh i didn't i need to know more about these papers and follow up on this study there's a you know there's a group out of we heard back from a scientist in china who who faces a very similar problem to india in terms it presents very similarly uh, type 2 diabetes is spiking in china as well and they're like wow this is you know open so maybe there'll be new collaborations on the other hand there are people who are suffering from the disease or nutritional people and they're taking away a lot or so i think that that's been really the most pleasing is that part of our experiment in doing this film was can one film without dumbing it down can we reach multiple audiences and can people of varying backgrounds feel like they're getting something out of it and feel like it's both informative and entertaining and you know at least anecdotally um, from what we've heard, that we, we sense that that's the case. So I don't know if you guys have heard what you've heard back or what the response is. You guys been pleased with the response, but we've been very pleased with what we've heard. Yeah, I mean, uh, we've only gotten positive responses, so I I agree with that. It, I think it was just an interesting story that helps build on the idea that science journalism needs to keep questioning itself. You know, like I like that this wasn't tied up in a neat bow as like as enjoyable as it was to watch it wasn't like we got it <laughs> you know so um do you want to te- talk to us about your future projects yeah well there there's several future projects so there are there were this was part of a three part three three films and the other two were very very different so each one was meant to be an experiment in science storytelling based under the umbrella of diabetes and so one of them is is very much a um a sort of science forward piece, so to speak. It's really showing, uh, sort of talking about fat and what fat is and that fat gets a bad rap and it's really vital to life, but really explaining metabolism and and the evolution of fat and how then too much fat leads to uh, type 2 diabetes. And, and again, 
that's not it's a process that's still not really well understood that there's competing ideas about what that might be it probably some combination of many different factors that cause fat to be linked to diabetes or, or cause insulin resistance which is type 2 diabetes so that hope that's one film and the other one is really uh, a hit more of a history piece and it's looking at the discovery of insulin which primarily affects well, type 2 diabetics too but almost it's really type 1 diabetics juvenile what was used to be called juvenile diabetes um, and it's really that story is really looking at the difference between the mythology about how science works, which is really this idea that there's a lone genius working sort of in some ivory tower by themselves. And the reality is it's really, you know, people working either together as collaborators or building off each other's knowledge in even a competitive environment. But still that that these that these advances, such as the discovery of insulin, which has saved you know countless lives, um, that it came about not as you know as was sort of commonly told at the time about this sort of genius working by himself, but really in a in a in, in an environment of collaboration, and that we wanted to show that that's really how science works, much more than how it's often portrayed on television or in films or something. So, and then we hope that this is you know uh, you know I, I still do mostly news and and other types of documentaries, but. You know, the hope is that, that we can use, build off this to do sort of a new, help lead a new era of science storytelling and to rethink how we tell the stories of science in a video format um, by being, you know, increasingly creative and using tools that we see in dramas or in in music or other types of, types of video production um, that we think have been much more experimental and much more sort of innovative and try to apply that same spirit towards science. Well, we really look forward to it. And Thank you. Um, we're really excited that we got to work with you on this. Well, I appreciate it. Hopefully we can work again soon. But I, and, I, and I thank you guys for your interest and, and, um, and everybody's, because I, I think that there's a sense that science is boring, and it, it isn't. And I think that the more we try to hide the messy realities of science, the more we're making it less interesting to the general public. And, and having people question it more than if we're a little more honest about just it's 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 a discovery you know process it's we're discovering new things and that that's exciting that wonder and awe of discovery is i think appealing to audiences of all backgrounds so uh why did you not record audio when you were in india knowing that we do this podcast several years later. Um, yeah, I wish I was that patient or, <laughs> or smart, but... Really blew it. I have a lot of photos and many notebooks. And now we're going to read from Ankita's notebooks. <laughs> <laughs> you should see them. No, anyways, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. This has been a really fun year for Radio Motherboard. Uh, there have been some ups and downs, but thank you for sticking with us. Uh, And here's hoping you have a good holiday and a good New Year's. We'll be back soon after the New Year on Tuesdays. Yeah, and definitely um, go to the show page, watch this documentary. It's about 20 minutes long, and it really is fascinating and will change the way you think about this disease. Oh, and also, if you want to apply for the internship, you can email me at jason at motherboard.tv or ankita at ankita.rao, R-A-O. Ankita's A N K I T A <laughs> dot R A O at vice.com. 
It's Jason. <laughs> Jason, J-A-S-O-N. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so us. much for listening. And yeah, see you next year. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.